You're listening to the Smart Women in Business podcast with Jane Mackay, episode number 44. Hello, you're listening to the Smart Women in Business podcast. My name is Jane Mackay from Jane Mackay Communications. And on this show, we talk to smart women in business all over the world about starting, building and creating the business and life of your dreams while having incredibly honest, in-depth and rich conversations with amazing women in business who will inspire you to become a smart woman in business. Hello and welcome to the Smart Women of Business blog and podcast. I'm your host, Jay Mackay from Jay Mackay Communications, marketing consultant and coach who works with women across the world to build the business of their dreams. Today, I'm talking to Lindsay Hotmeyer, copywriter and brand coach who helps women business owners grow heart and soul aligned businesses creator of Paragon and the Unbrand Method. Lindsay has helped more than 347 clients ditch one size fits all frameworks and formulas. And since 2016, her approach has empowered her clients to create $10,000 to $1 million campaigns, all without losing sight of their true authentic selves. Lindsay has been a featured expert at Content Marketing Institute, 17 Ways to Beat Back Writer's Block and Win, Inbound, Content Marketing World, the Copywriter Club IRL, Found Conference, Shine Bootcamp, and her message has been shared with podcast audiences around the globe, like today. Lindsay lives in the Midwest with her husband and is an almost empty nester mum to four kids. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me. So excited to chat. I love it. I love a chat. Um, <laughs> really great to have you because we were saying off air, we're, we're really closely aligned in what we do and how we mm-hmm. show up in our business and how we empower our clients. So tell me about your business journey, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, um, you know, that goes way back to 1995, which feels incredibly a long time ago. Our youngest son the other day said something about we're closer to 2050 than we are to 1990. And my husband and I just looked at each other with this empty, like, oh my word, we have arrived. (laughs) I don't want to know that. (laughs) Back in 95, graduated from high school, went off to college. And, you know, in, in those days, I knew that I loved to write. I knew that I loved language. I knew that that was my gift but I didn't know what I could do with that beyond either be a high school English teacher or be a journalist. Like that's what I thought my two options were. Same. Yeah. And so I chose teaching because I knew I wanted to connect with others that I wanted to make an impact in the lives of others. And I did that for three years. And when I had our second child, I, I stepped out and I'm like, I'm not going back to the classroom. I'm going to be home for a while. I'm going to have more babies. And so let's just push pause on what's happening. And so in about a 10 year period was kind of my period of not just momming, but just self-discovery because I didn't step out of the workforce completely in that time. I did all sorts of different things. Like I was a legal secretary for a while. I was a nonprofit executive, um, Let's see, what else did I do? I was a community activist um, and I was a adjunct professor for a lot of that time. And so I did all of these different things. And it was really that community activist role that I got thrust into, like I didn't want to do it. And I think that's the, the, the story of lots of people who get called into something. Um, 
but that's where I really discovered, okay, the way that I'm going to impact my world and make a difference is through the written word. And so I went back to school, got my master's in professional writing, not really knowing Mm -hmm. what I was going to do still, like, I still didn't know about this world of copywriting. I just knew I didn't want to be a creative writer. So I'll just do professional writing and it'll land me where it needs to. And it did. I, with that degree, got a job with a small private university and I did the marketing and comms for the admissions office. And I describe that about two years. I say that that was really my master's in marketing. That's where I learned to just strip down comm flows, to build things from the ground up, to really look at the data, to really listen to the audience around me. Um, I loved that job. I loved my boss. And when my boss quit, I quit. And at that point, um, I, I knew that either I'm going to drive an hour plus one way just to get the kind of job that I need to get and make the money I need to, to make, or I just try to do this. I try, I try to take my freelance life that I had in that 10 years of raising kids And I, that was another thing that I did dabbled in freelancing. I try to reestablish those connections and make a go of my business. And so, um, within the first three months of trying that, well, I dabbled before I quit my full-time job. And I said, when I'm making as much freelancing as I am as a full at this job, I'll quit. And so three months in I quit. And the day that I quit, I landed a contract that was two thirds of my salary, which sounds impressive until you really understand that private um, schools don't pay that much to begin with. And so it's not that impressive, but it was still like, okay, go me. Yeah, I'm I'm doing something. Um, So that was 2016 that I stepped out this big leap of faith, not knowing, am I going to do this? Is this going to survive? You know, am I going to survive this? Um, That was 2016. And now here I am. So that was, that's my business journey. That's kind of how I got to be here. Just a really messy, non-linear way. It sounds quite similar to mine. It's that that no one mentioned copywriting at school. I loved writing at school copywriting's been around for eons but no one went hey there's this great thing if you're good at writing go and do this it's that English teacher path or the like or the academia path it's like I don't want to do that so yeah interesting interesting mirrors my story a lot and then you go and do the masters and go oh yeah I could do writing for a job look at this this is fun I know I know it was like this secret this secret job that only you know these popular white men had and nobody else knew about it and I'm like if I had known then like think where I'd be now (laughs) my mother-in-law was a copywriter in the 60s in New York and she was the first one that sort of told me about it and then Mm -hmm. I went off and like looked at agency work and stuff I was like oh I want to do this this is fun and yeah yeah, it's amazing yeah the secret society of white men (laughs) (laughs) so um your business obviously doesn't look like it did when it started in 2016. What have, what, how has your business evolved and, you know, what were the signs that it was time to, to change things up? Yeah. So, yeah, when I started in 2016, my main goal was I at least have to, my main goal was to make an income. That's, mm. you know, I, I need to at least make what I was making in the security of an office job. Um, 
And so if I was able to do that, I was really happy. Like that was just my goal. Like, okay, I'm being successful. And that was probably six months of happiness to where, you know, you get your systems down and it's like, this is, this is not enough. Like this is, this is off. This was all fine and dandy, but something else needs to happen here. And so that's when I started tuning into probably other people, you know, and listening to their systems. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Brennan Dunn, who talks a lot about freelancing systems mm-hmm. and um, Joanna Weeb with copy hackers and copy bloggers was really big. Copy blogger was really was. big at that time. Yes. And so really kind of tuning into them and realizing, okay, there's a system and a structure here. And there's a lot more to the way that I can kind of structure my business, present myself than what I am. And so I think that for the next two years, the experience that I had in the next two years is really what kind of led me to where I am now is because what I did is I think probably what you've heard many women talk through is you listen to those experts, you tune into the mentors, you watch what everybody's doing and you just play that game of Simon Says, Yeah. right? You just plug and play. You just follow in the footsteps. You just do it. And it feels okay and right, like in the moment, because you don't know anything else. You know, you're like a two-year-old following in the footsteps of your parent. You don't know what else to do. Um, But I think as you get more and more of your bearings, some of us realize this just isn't working because Mm -hmm. I've taken everybody else's appendages and plugged them into my own body and expect them to work for me. And so probably in 20, mid 2017, definitely by 2018, I started taking a step back and asking questions about our industry. Like, is what we're doing really helpful? And it just feels empty and not aligned with who I am. Like something just doesn't feel right. And that wasn't unusual. I've always been that outlier. You know, I've always been, I've always said, I'm always the one on the outside of the house looking in the window watching. And so there was a lot of probably resistance for me to accept what was going on in my head of this isn't right because I was in tuned enough with knowing I'm an INFJ, I'm, I'm an Enneagram type four. And so you're going to always feel like you see things differently. And So I think that there was some of that me just sitting in pause, like, is this really, is this really something, or is this just, you know, 40 something Lindsay going through the same (laughs) life that she's lived forever. Um, But as I worked with more and more women and really tuned into what they were struggling with and watching how they tried to plug and play and it didn't work and just, you know, pivoting over and over again. Yes. Um, I knew that there needed to be a shift. And so that knowledge is where, what led me to where I am now today. Mm. And I I talk so much about alignment with my clients because I can tell you what to do. I go on reels every day and do this and do that. But if that feels completely out of alignment with who you are and how you show up, you're not going to do it. You're going to resent it. And you're not going to actually be showing up for your clients as authentically as possible. And the whole point of working with an individual is you get them as them. You get them as an individual with their own gifts and their own way of doing things. And this whole plug and play and what the gurus tell us to do, you know, follow my system for five, five figure days. You're going to be a six figure entrepreneur. 
they don't work on mass. We get mm-hmm. told they do, mm-hmm. but they don't work because they're so out of alignment with how so many people work. And mm-hmm. it makes me question our industry also. And I've talked about it a lot. And that lack of authenticity that comes through so frequently, you know, that come and watch my live webinar, which is not live at all. And right. I rail against it constantly. Yeah. Um, and it is so frustrating. So showing up as that aligned and authentic Lindsay allowed you to create your niche in a very big industry. And they reckon mm-hmm. that, the, you know, the coaching industry is going to get to a billion dollars a day. Yeah, that's crazy. It blows my mind. That's crazy. And I think that what that does is it points to the fact that people know that they need help and they don't know Mm -hmm. where else to look. And so they're just grasping. And it's a really scary thing to step out and say, truly to step out and say, I'm just going to be myself and lead with myself because so much of that is against the grain of what we're being taught. And so Mm -hmm. I think as women, especially there's this constant tension of this doesn't feel right, but who am I to step off of the track and take a different path? Um, Mm. That's really scary. And so what I believe that it does is it forces a lot of women off of the playing field much sooner than it ought to, because Mm. they just determine that the problem is me instead of understanding that the problem is the system that they've been given to play within. So that's been something that I've just been very passionate about and committed to helping more women succeed just by truly being themselves. And that's language that's used a lot, you know, just be yourself, you know, just, I think that we don't always have the tools to actually figure out how to do that um, because we have grown up in such a noisy globe. And so how, how do we be ourselves? And so that's the essence of my work is really helping women get to the core of who they are mm. um, so that they can see that and it can be spoken into their lives and they can cling to that in those moments of doubt, fear, insecurity, you know, when business goes bad, when COVID, global pandemic happens, you know, all of that stuff, all you've got left is the core of who you are. Mm. And it's interesting because we asked, one of the questions I always ask my clients is, who do you want to work with? And inevitably they come back and said, I was told I should work with people. And should is my least favorite word. Just get that out of the way. Because we are brought up in this, as businesses, we come from a place of self-doubt and it's really difficult starting a business. Let's just say that out loud. And, it, and we, we do look to the people who appear to be successful as guides as to what to do in our own business. And we often don't see behind the scenes. We don't see beyond the shiny Instagram accounts and the, you know, the 10,000 followers. And we go, oh, they've got 10,000 followers. They must be successful. But mm-hmm. we don't know beyond mm-hmm. that shiny exterior. Um, And so we're led to believe that that's what equals success, those vanity metrics. Um, And it frustrates me. You don't have to connect with 10,000 people. You just have to connect with five people Mm -hmm. who actually want to hear what you have to say instead of it being shoved down your throat. Anyway, off my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. And finding the right community. Like it's Mm. easy to start a business and feel like, well, that's the place to be because that's where all the support or whatever it is, but that might not be the right community for you to be plugging into because it just, it might not help you flourish and to just give yourself, you know, like, let's say you're a a photographer. And so there's a really popular photographer, Facebook group led by these popular you know, leaders. And so you feel like you've got to be there, but you realize you're just mixing and mingling with a bunch of other photographers. It's not feeding your business. And so where else can you plug into to actually help you grow? Because it's, that's been, that's been, um, probably a revelation for me in the last year, um, is realizing, okay, you've spent all of your time connecting with people just like you, which is great. It matters. It helps support. But you also, yes, you also have to figure out where are my actual clients and how can I connect? What are the communities that I need to be plugged into to connect to them? Because then it's, we talk about where do your ideal clients hang out? And often we think our ideal clients are like us. Mm-hmm. They're not always. And that's why that research is so useful. Anyway, right. we could probably right. talk about that all day, but we won't. <laughs> um, obviously, you had four kids, busy life. How do you manage your life as an entrepreneur? Because it's uh, it can be hectic. Mm-hmm. It can be hectic. <laughs> I think for me, it's one, embracing the tension. Um, and what I mean by that is recognizing what your rhythms are and need to be, and then being okay with that, because that's something I really struggle with. And that, so that's why I say that. So for example, I, I'll get up, the kids will get off for the day. And really for me to get into my business owner shoes, I just have to sit with myself for like an hour to an hour and a half, whether it's reading or whatever it is. And then if if I'm at my desk, but in chair by 10 AM, then, then I'm great. And I always struggle with guilt over that because I know that there's people, but in chair at 8 AM or 9 AM. And so I feel lazy, which is a ridiculous sense of guilt, right? Because what, what is it that works for me? What works for me is button chair at 10 AM. Um, and then understanding that my most productive hours are probably like, unfortunately, from about 1.30 to 4, because the kids start rolling in at 3 o'clock, you know, so, (laughs) but that's when I don't, (laughs) yeah, it's like, please don't interrupt me, but that's when my brain really starts to make the connections. Um, So I think that's one, it's just embracing the tension of you're always going to have this feedback loop coming into you of what, what your day should look like, how your behavior ought to look like as a business owner, but are you able to be productive? Are you able to meet your own metrics, your own goals within the framework you've set up? And if so, just be okay with that. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I think, I don't know if I got off track. (laughs) I'm all for being off, going off track. Um, because it's interesting because we talk about, you know, days of the week, I'm hopeless on a Monday, regardless of whether I've had a busy weekend Mondays. I'm just like, Hmm, Mm -hmm. just can't some occasionally I'm like, yeah, bang, 
but mm-hmm. mostly I'm like I just want to dawdle around for a bit and procrastinate but it's letting go of that guilt and that expectation because the only person putting that expectation on you is you and if Absolutely. you're getting your work done meeting your clients expectations just let it go yes let it go and adjust just play with your schedule. And so same, you know, like, it's so refreshing to hear you say that because Mondays are same for me. They're just like, Oh, and so (laughs) I've learned to, to like deli to send all of those annoying business owner tasks that aren't hard, but they're just time consuming. Maybe it's paying, paying the credit card bill or, um, just organizing your, your Google docs or whatever it is, those tasks that always get put off. I've put those on my Mondays because it's easy for me to be like, okay, I can sit here and just do that. I don't have to think about it. I'm just doing it. It makes me feel good. Like I've actually been productive on the day. Um, Well, you have. Yes. Yes. So that's another thing, like giving yourself credit for those small tasks that don't feel like the hundred dollar task or the $500 an hour task, but you still as a solopreneur have to take care of the 25 hour, $25 an hour task and giving yourself credit for that instead of feeling like you're wasting your time. Like mm. that's been a struggle for me as well, because I haven't delegated out. Um, me I haven't wanted to, like I've resisted bringing on a VA, um, I've just kind of resisted that siren call of building out my team. And so if that's where I'm going to be, then I just, I have to be content with knowing I'm just going to have all these different levels of tasks and I'm not wasting time. I'm doing what I need to. So I, I too do not have a VA, which people find shocking sometimes and surprising because for me, it's another burden. It's another person I have to manage in my life and I don't need that. So why, what are you, what's your resistance around having a VA? Cause I'm always interested to meet people who don't have one. That's part of it. Like I already manage five people in my household <laughs> and a dog. I've got two rabbits. Um, They're just as much trouble yes. <laughs> as my two kids. <laughs> I'll often say, I don't want to be responsible for putting bread on somebody else's table. It's stressful enough for me to have to worry about it for myself. Um, And I just don't feel like I can handle a large, I'm a fast worker. And so I don't feel like I need that. I I hear a lot of my own business mentors, my own mentoring communities talk about, oh, you should get a VA as though it's almost a feather in your cap that you've somehow arrived to a certain level. And so I feel like there are sometimes you step up and you do those things because you feel like, well, this will make me official. This will make me should. Yes. Um, and then you wind up not bringing home the revenue that you could because you're splitting it when, when you don't need to. Mm. Um, but if you want to be a great, you know, that's, that's awesome. But for me, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm good with that. I don't know if I'll ever bring one on. I don't know if I will either. Interesting. Interesting to meet someone else. So how do you manage your days other than Mondays? Um, what's, yeah. what's a really amazing day look like for you in the office? Yeah. What's your favorite way to spend so your time? I reserve my Tuesdays and Thursdays really for my call days. Those are my client call days. That way my Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays are for me, whether it's me really immersing myself in my client work um, or doing those terrible t- Monday tasks. Um, 
but Tuesdays and, and Thursdays feel always feel like my most on calendar productive days because they are filled with client calls. Mm -hmm. Um, a good day for me is where I walk, where I close my computer and I walk away from my office and feel like I helped create not necessarily an aha moment for my client, but a moment for my client where a breakthrough moment where yeah, they right were right. able to, to move the needle on whatever it is that they needed that needle moved. Um, and so when I've been able to sit with them for long enough um, and not necessarily face to face, but just immerse myself in their, their world mm. where I see it, um, that's when I feel like I've really had a great day. Um, now being patient with myself long enough for that to happen, that that's the hard, that's the hard piece. I often describe myself as a method writer. You know, you're familiar with method acting. Mm. Yeah. So, you, you sit there and yeah. do the writing. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, like Daniel Day Lewis and I think Jim Carrey has done some method acting. And so these actors will lose themselves. Like they will completely immerse themselves in the world of the character that they're playing. Hmm. And that's how my work feels. Like my husband knows when I'm deep into the, into the muck with a client because I'm there, but I'm not. And I'm doing so much of that work in my head mm -hmm. um, that it can feel like I just stare out the window all day long and don't strike a key on the keyboard because I'm doing all of that internal processing. Mm. It's interesting because I'm, I'm quite similar. I went last year when we were homeschooled, so I had my five-year-old who started school last year and my husband in the office with me. I was like, don't talk to me. Don't talk That's to me. Awful. I would have, I would have lost it. <laughs> I did on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I did on occasion. There were tears. His tears, my tears. There were tears. Uh, yeah. um, and it's interesting because it, when you work in marketing, as you and I do, especially as writers, I think you spend a lot of your time either in the place of your client working out their strategy or in the place of their clients. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to get in those head spaces. And that's why knowing your clients and knowing your clients' clients really well is so informative. But it's not just about you know, their name's Debbie, they're 35, they live by, it's about how are they feeling in that moment when they're reading this and when they're making that purchasing decision. And so I'm like you, I get really deep in that and I'll be like smashing out content, but don't ever try and call me, speak to me mm -hmm. anything when I'm in that. Right. And that's why I think we've got to block out that time. And I do the same thing. I block out Wednesdays and Fridays and Tuesdays mm -hmm. and Thursdays. I speak to clients. Sometimes I'm, I did a client call on Monday this week. You'd be proud. Oh, go. <laughs> that's awesome. That's always dangerous for me. Cause I'm like, am I going to remember that this is even on my calendar? If I put it on a Monday, <laughs> it's such a relief to hear someone else say that. <laughs> that's why we need a VA. <laughs> Hey Jane, you're meant to be on Zoom right now. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm yeah. hungry and I'm like, I always snack a lot on a Monday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm laughing. Oh gosh. So um, what um tools do you use to be more efficient or productive in your business? Yeah. So since I don't have a VA, I do try to automate out what I can. So I still use Calendly. Yeah, um, so do I. And my it. link. Here you go. Yeah. It's it's great. Um, I use Trello and bring my clients into their own Trello boards so that we can just 
um, manage our communications that way. And that makes it easy too, because I can duplicate boards for, for programs that you know are very similar. And so yeah, I'm not starting from scratch every single time. And then I don't have a major CRM, like I don't use a Dubsado or anything like that. I just don't feel like I need it. And um, I, the other tool that I use is Better Proposals to build out my proposals, and which makes it really slick and really easy. And clients always love that. Like it, they just are always like, what is that tool? We wanna implement it in our company as well. And so that's always fun. But um, those are really the three main tools that I use. And then the rest, uh, Google Docs, Google which Docs. doesn't even feel like a tool anymore. That's like saying Zoom is a tool. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom is my number one tool, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's it. So I really keep it minimal, very little overhead, which is how mm. I like it. Mm. My accountant was like, you run a very lean business. Yes. Like, well, yes. it's because we like, start off really lean and then you grow and you do what you need to do but still so much of what you and I do is in here exactly and it's just getting it from I'm for those listening to the podcast I'm pointing at my head um (laughs) it's getting it out of our heads and documented that's the real hard part Mm -hmm. except when we're in that method writing which I'm going to think about now every time I do it yeah I love it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we talked about um, self-doubt earlier and, and one of the questions I always ask is imposter syndrome, how do you manage imposter syndrome? What are your methods for overcoming the bad days in business? And we all have them. Um, so if you can share, yeah. I'd appreciate yeah. it. You know, I think it's interesting that we talk so much about imposter syndrome lately. Um, you know, when we grew up, I never even heard, I might've heard of imposter syndrome, but it, you know, I'm sure my children, no, my children know it probably like they know the word watermelon, you know, it's just normal. Um, and I think that that speaks to our probably, I think that speaks somewhat to our social network world where we're always on, we're always playing the comparison game. We're always seeing what other people are doing and then measuring ourselves up against that. And so I think that that goes hand in hand, especially for me. And so I think for me, imposter syndrome really is just all about insecurity, which is probably for most of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when mine flares, that's when I always have to take a step back and kind of think about what is going on around me that I need to turn off. And so whether that's social media, which is almost always, that's (laughs) what it is. Yeah. Um, or it's gosh, Lindsay, you haven't reached out to another living soul outside of your household for the last 12 weeks. Maybe you need to call a friend, you know? And so just con- intentionally connecting with others helps me get out of my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another way that I manage it. And then the other way, and really this has been pretty intentional, I would say the last COVID year has just been a grounding in my values and my goals. And I find that when I start to feel that imposter syndrome showing up deep in my gut, if I can just remind myself, who are you and what do you want? That helps that imposter syndrome to die down, but it has to be that continual awareness of this is what's creeping in 
and here's what you need to do to combat it. And just understanding it's always going to be there. It's always going to creep in, you know, insecurity, none of us are exempt from none. Um, it's just being able to recognize it creep in soon enough so that you can hedge it off. Mm. It's interesting. I, I, when I work with clients, I always start with their values mm-hmm. because every decision we make in our business and in our lives comes back to our values. I have my values on a post-it on my pinboard in front of my face. I also have a description of what I do for my clients. It's about expanding their vision for their lives and that who are you and what do you want? How do you show up for your clients? And when you reflect on that, it's so useful to go, I have done this for my clients. I have helped them improve their lives. And and that can really, I say to people, have all your testimonials in a Google doc so you can just read them. Yes. Gives yourself a buck up. Exactly. (laughs) Bad day Google file. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I discovered, uh, there's a podcast that I, I don't listen to it as much anymore, but it's called start right here. And it's two psychologists and I can't remember their names right now, but um, they're kind of fun. They're two like old grizzled psychologists that lead this podcast. And they introduced the concept. You talked about how you hate the word should, and they introduced this concept called the should monster. And, um, it it really hit me at just the right time because COVID was in full swing. And I felt like I had had all this momentum in, you know, Mm. 20, 2019, 2020 is amazing. Yes. And where I was supposed to go and, you know, the story for the majority of us, it all just crashed. And I just, I didn't, I was having a hard time sorting through what's next and just kind of thinking maybe what I wanted isn't really what I want anymore. And struggling with that imposter syndrome of tuning into all the people who were scaling and me thinking, okay, maybe I need to scale to these multi six figures because I've reached my goals. So now what, like I've reached your, I've reached my goal, Lindsay. So what are you going to do now? That's where I was at. And I think by the way, that's a lot of times when imposter syndrome comes in, when you're at that juncture of something. Um, And so that's where I was. And so this podcast with the should monster, they said, make a list, make a list. And on one side, write, um, I want, and on the other side, write, I should. And on the, I want side, well, um, start with the, I should side. And on the, I should side, write down all the things that you think that you should do and exhaust it, like everything from business to life and whatever. And so I had things like, you know, I should have it figured out by now. I should be making multi six figures. I should be more well-known. I should be this, this, and this. When I went over to my wants, it was, I want to make a comfortable living for my family. That doesn't necessarily equate to multi six figures. Um, I want to be a helper more than I want to be a thought leader. And so that knowledge was, okay, so what does that mean for stages for me and other Mm -hmm. things like that? Um, And when I compared my wants, it it became pretty clear that I felt so stuck and so oppressed and so weighed down by imposter syndrome because I was living in the shadow of the should monster. And so that's another tool that I have used for imposter syndrome is just like keeping that list before me and kind of asking myself when I feel stuck in that imposter syndrome spot, 
Are you living in the land of the should monster or in the land of your wants? Mm. Um, that's been a really helpful exercise for me. Yeah, that's really interesting because we did sit through 2020 um, looking at the people that were apparently flourishing through through COVID and it was really bizarre. I mean, we got hit with the fires, the bushfires first and then COVID off the back of that. So we just had this, this extended period of not feeling very productive and not really doing very much in my business so after 2019 which was absolute stellar year for my business mm-hmm. trying to come back from that over the past or whatever it is now 18 months has been strange because it does force you to reassess what's important like I you know I'm going away on Monday for two weeks I'm doing a week of board work and then I went you know I'm going to Queensland where it's sunny and warm <laughs> yeah okay kids you're going to take a week off school and we're going on a family holiday in Queensland because I can and I want to spend time with you and I want to enjoy your company instead of this come on where's your socks where's your drink bottle you know turn the heater off open the blinds is constant (laughs) every day like my husband like groundhog day of trying to get the kids out (laughs) yes oh that is so true I said that to my husband many times do you ever feel like we're just stuck in groundhog day because every day is the same oh my gosh (laughs) oh fun fact that movie was on while I was in labor with my first child I do not recommend anyway so I just yeah it was that was pretty much a a, a harboring of what was gonna happen next um anyway um so and and I just want to enjoy the company and it's Mm. not about for me you know making the multi-six figures and having this amazing income the income facilitates the outcome the outcome I actually want because my mm-hmm. husband's like, you're obsessed with going on holiday. And I'm like, my holiday, I get to spend time with my kids mm-hmm. without yeah. the stress that we're always all under when we're in our daily lives. So it's not about just the income. It's about the impact we have on our clients and their lives and, and what that gives to us in terms of our values and our lives. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And one thing for the other women out there listening, one thing that, um, I think it's important to note is that when these marketing gurus and voyeuristic, I don't, that's probably too strong of a word. These coaches show up and promise, I'll show you how to have 10 K weeks or, you know, how to multi scale your income so that you can make multi six figures. The truth of being a multi six figure business owner is that you're not bringing all of that home. You, for me, if I want to move beyond my six figure income, I have to build a team. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality. I, I'm at the max of what I can do by myself. I can't scale unless I am willing to bring on a team. Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to bring on a team. I don't want that. And that's not the rhythm of life that I want to live. And so I'm not going to scale and I'm okay with that but I'm still bringing home a great income. I'm still having a great revenue because I'm the only one I have to pay. So when you're making multi six figures, yeah, you might be making 250, 500,000 a year, but you may have five, 10, 15, 20 employees that you're paying out of that. And so what's the cost? Mm. And that was something that I weighed heavily because as I talked, as I listened to entrepreneurs talk about, I made $250,000 this year, but I paid $100,000 to contractors or employees. And I realized 
then I don't want to do that. Like, that's just not what I want. And that's just the financial cost. It's the, the emotional and the mental costs yes. as well. And, and the time that it takes to, to, to manage those people. And yes. I'm, I'm, I too, I don't, I just want to be doing what I'm doing the way mm-hmm. I do it. Keep on mm-hmm. keeping on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just important to like understand that full promise and the cost of that full